Holy Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and love and mercy that you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for us to fellowship with you. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and abundance of pleasures forevermore. As we go through your word now, Lord, may it be pleasurable to us. Please speak to us. Put your words in my mouth that it may speak blessings that will edify all of us. Grant to your children the gift of your Holy Spirit that we may rightly divide the word of truth and discern spiritual things. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, May 31 I hear the sheep. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and had not performed my commandments. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11 While Saul and his army were marching in the flush of victory, there was deep anguish in the home of Samuel the prophet. He had received a message from the Lord denouncing the course of the king. The prophet was deeply grieved over the course of the rebellious king, and he wept and prayed all night for a reversing of the terrible sentence. God's repentance is not like man's repentance. The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Man's repentance implies a change of mind. God's repentance implies a change of circumstances and relations. Man may change his relation to God by complying with the conditions upon which he may be brought into the divine favor, or he may, by his own action, place himself outside the favoring condition. But the Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 saul's disobedience changed his relation to god but the conditions of acceptance with god were unaltered god's requirements were still the same for with him there is no variableness neither shadow of turning james chapter 1 verse 17 with an aching heart the prophet set forth the next morning to meet the erring king. Samuel cherished a hope that, upon reflection, Saul might become conscious of his sin, and by repentance and humiliation be again restored to the divine favor. But when the first step is taken in the path of transgression, the way becomes easy. Saul, debased by his disobedience, came to meet Saul with a lie upon his lips. He exclaimed, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. The sounds that fell on the prophet's ears disproved the statement of the disobedient king. Saul denied his sin, even while the lowing of the oxen 
and the bleating of the sheep were publishing his guilt. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is I Hear the Sheep. We are continuing now with the story of King Saul's conquest of the Amalekites. Yesterday we saw the way he presumed and disobeyed God under presumption. To recall just a few lessons we learned, we learned this key lesson that presumption neglects God's word to do something that is not God's word while claiming to do it for the sake of God. Presumption also claims the promises of God but doesn't fulfill the condition. Those are some characteristics of presumption. When we follow the imagination of our own mind, like King Saul did, he, he said, he excused himself that the reason he was doing what he was doing was for God's sake. He kept the sheep and the oxen and King Agag and he said he was keeping it as a sacrifice to God. But in keeping, as, keeping it as a sacrifice to God, he was disobeying the direct command of God. So we should be careful not to claim that we are doing something for God while disobeying God, for that will be presumption. And at the same time, we should be careful not to claim God's promises and not fulfill the conditions. That also will be presumption. We saw in the life of Jesus when the devil tempted him to jump from a high cliff on a pinnac- from a pinnacle and claiming a promise. That promise was not rightly claimed because if Jesus had jumped, he would have been tempting God. So we should not tempt God. Today, we'll continue the story of King Saul, reading from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. It says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Before I continue, let us talk about what it means here when it says God repented, where it says he repented me that I have set up Saul to be king. Also, when we look at the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 6, it said there that the wickedness of man was very great and then God made a statement in this same fashion. In verse 6 it says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And today's when we are reading that God said it repented me that I have made Saul to be king. So what does it mean when God says it repented me? What is repentance with God? Like we read in our devotion, for us as humans, when we say we repent, we actually mean that we are changing our ways, our principles, our character. But for God, he remains the same in character forever and ever. His principles always remain the same. He's faithful till the end. So when God says he's repented me, it doesn't mean he's changing his character. It doesn't mean he's changing his principles. It doesn't mean that he sinned because in our case, repentance has to do with turning away from sin. But with God, when he says he repented me, he's not saying that he's turning away from sin because God cannot lie, neither can he repent. He does not sin. But in this case, as we see in every case where God says he's repenting, is referring to his relation with man, that he fulfilling the conditions for a blessing will stop because man is not fulfilling his own part of the bargain. 
What God means is not that he has sinned and is repenting of the sin. Repentance simply means a change of mind for us. But with God, God gives conditional promises. He is faithful and will certainly do what he said he will do. He fulfills his end of the bargain, sometimes even before we do ours. But when we fail to do our part, he also removes his favor from us. Saul had failed his former test and the Lord had been blessing him with many victories before now. Like we saw in yesterday's devotion, even this victory against the Amalekites, it was the Lord who fulfilled his own part of the bargain to Saul. But Saul did not fulfill his own end when God told him, slay everything. The Lord gave him the victory, but he didn't do what the Lord asked him to do in slaying everything. And that's why God said, it repented me that I have made Saul king. That is, his relation with Saul is going to change. Conflict and Courage, page 157, paragraph 3 says, Man's repentance implies a change of mind. God's repentance implies a change of circumstances and relations. Man may change his relation to God by complying with the conditions upon which he may be brought into the divine favor or he may, by his own action, place himself outside the favoring conditions. But the Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, going on in the reading in 1 Samuel 15, after the Lord said he repent, it repented him, Samuel prayed all night for Saul. Verse 12 now says, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. Before I go on, what was Saul doing here? Saul was parading Agag and everything he got from Amalek, from Amalek to show his victory. And even going as far as somehow erecting a monument for himself, showing on the day Saul conquered the Amalekites and avenged himself of his enemies. You know how people do where they make uh, monuments for themselves to, to commemorate a wonderful event that they think is very big in their eyes. That was how Saul was doing here. He was com- commemorating the event of um, destroying the Amalekites and taking glory to himself. And in verse 13 now he says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. Not he now, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So what does Saul do here? Like we read in the Bible, those ones that were not good, he destroyed them, and the ones that were good, he left them. Like we saw in yesterday's devotion, the reason Saul did this was because they didn't want to make a sacrifice actually. He said they did it for making sacrifices. What is a sacrifice? Sacrifice means to do something taken from your own um, property and given to the Lord. But instead of using his own properties, he now saw an opportunity to avoid making sacrifice while claiming that he was making sacrifice. Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 156, paragraph 3, it says, The people reserved for themselves the finest of the flocks, herds, and beasts of burden, excusing their sin on the ground that the cattle were reserved to be offered as sacrifices to the Lord. It was their purpose, however, to use this merely as a substitute to save their own cattle. End of quote. What a brilliant way to be greedy and yet appear religious. 
and appear righteous and holy. Very greedy stuff here. And how many of us would have even known that this was what was going on? Look at how they feigned and covered their sin. When they didn't want to make sacrifices with their own cattle, they saw an opportunity to use another person's cattle and another person's sheep as sacrifice. Imagine someone saying they want to pay their return their tithe and then they see another person's money lying on the street and then go and take it and use it for tithe. That's exactly what Saul and these men were doing. But it was Saul who was the one who was actually behind it. And you can see here the character of Saul. It's not a nice one. It's not one that we want to imitate. So you can see the the evil here. And even when he was pointed to his sin by Samuel, Samuel was telling him, what is it that I hear? Because he said, I perform the commandment of the Lord. And the commandment of the Lord was, destroy everything. Even when he was not asked, he knew that Samuel was going to ask him. So what did he do? Before Samuel asked him, he already told Samuel, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel asked him, but the evidence is, is telling me that you have not performed the commandment. The bleating that I'm hearing is telling me that. Saul had failed his former test based on presumption. Yet, this did not bring him to his doom. The Lord is merciful and gracious. God does not reject us when we commit the sin of presumption. Yet, there is something even worse than presumption, which is what Jesus calls the unpardonable sin, or the sin against the Holy Spirit. Before now, Saul was gradually coming to this point of committing the unpardonable sin. Proverbs 15 verse 5 tells us, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. And verse 10 says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Verse 12 tells us, A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. How does this apply to King Saul? Samuel came to him and was telling him, I am hearing the bleating of sheep. And Saul was insisting, I have, I have kept the commandments of God. And Samuel was pointing to that sheep, telling him, This is the evidence that you are disobeying God. This is the evidence that you have neglected light. But Saul was insisting that he had command, performed God's commandments. The reproof that Samuel was giving him, he did not like it. The instruction, he didn't like. And were it to be that Saul at this time said, I have sinned, in that I did not obey God, it would have fared better for him and for anybody. You see, this sin of presumption is not the worst sin. Do you know what the worst sin is? People call it the unpardonable sin. But what is that unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin simply means when you are justifying yourself in a wrong course. When the Lord is trying to convince you of your sin, but you are maintaining that you cannot see the sin in what you are doing. Saul was being convinced by the evidence that Samuel was pointing to. The sheep. I hear the sheep. And this is the evidence that you have not obeyed God's commands. But Saul was insisting, I have obeyed. I have obeyed. And then he fell into the worst thing that can ever happen to any man. It is not the sin of adultery or whatever sin any man commits, God can forgive. But when he, through his spirit and through his instruments, is trying to make corrections in our lives and we insist that we have not done wrong, then we leave him with no choice 
than to leave our sins maintained on the book of records and therefore we cannot get any forgiveness. Reading from Review and Herald, May 19, 1903, paragraph 2, it says, God makes abundant provision for sins of ignorance, but he makes no provision for willful sins. The unpardonable sin is the sin that refuses to be pardoned. It is the refusal to hear him concerning a sin and to turn from that sin. It is the sin of refusing his instruction. Let me pause. That's the reason I read earlier Proverbs chapter 5, 15 verse 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is, in, is, is prudent. Then verse 10. Correction is grievous to he, unto him that forsaketh the way, and he hates reproof, and he that hates reproof shall die. A scorner, verse 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. Let me go back to the reading. It says, The unpardonable sin is the sin of refusing God's instruction. It is the sin of unbelief concerning his warnings. It is the stubbornness of the heart that will not turn from sin, which seals the faith of faith of any people or any individual. End of quote. So that is the unpardonable sin and that is where Saul now found himself justifying his evil course refusing to be refusing instruction refusing to hear God concerning a particular sin to turn from that sin Saul did not see any need to turn from it why because he was justifying it willful sin that's what we are told this statement here that God makes abundant provision for sins of ignorance but he makes no provision for willful sin so what is willful sin Hebrews 10 verse 26 and 27 says, But if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. So, like I said, what is this sinning willfully that the Bible is talking about? Calm down. It doesn't mean to struggle with besetments or premeditated sin. If this was what it meant, people like David, Mary Magdalene, and Zacchaeus will have no room for repentance or forgiveness. So willful sin is not when you are in a sin and you know that you are in a sin and you are struggling with it. No, that's not willful sin. It may be that you are in a sin and you know, okay, I'm I'm struggling with this thing. Like somebody who is struggling with alcoholism or any other addiction. That doesn't... And they, they sin intentionally, actually. But the fact that they know that they are sinning, and their mind keeps on judging them shows that they have not committed the unpardonable sin they are struggling david planned his sin it was premeditated he saw a woman and called for that woman it was not something that was in the spur of the moment no he intentionally slept with Bathsheba. and not only that he went further to plan for uriah to sleep with her so that it will cover his sin that when the child is born it will look like it was uriah's child and when did that that did not work he set uriah up for uriah to die and then even went as far as taking Bathsheba for himself and stayed one full year till the child was born and that child later died of course but that shows you how premeditated david's sin was but yet it was not the unpardonable sin so that's not the unpardonable that's not willful sin willful sin is what saul did now it is when you harden your heart to refuse that sin is sin. That is when you are in willful sin. And that is why the Bible says, if we sin willfully, 
after this is when it becomes willful sin after you have been shown hebrews 10 verse 26 after that we have received the knowledge of the truth then there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins willful sin is a sin that is excused and one which is done intentionally while refusing this is the main thing about willful sin now refusing to be convinced that the sin is a sin Proverbs 29 verse 1 tells us the end of that kind of person who justifies his evil after he has received the knowledge of the truth. It says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. In another version of the Bible, it says, The one who stiffens his neck after numerous rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy the bible in basic english put it like this a man hating sharp words and making his heart hard will suddenly be broken and will not be made well again this is the willful sin being referred to it is sinning against clear light that is refusing the light and claiming that you are right when the Bible is telling you that you are wrong. In this case for King Saul, Samuel was pointing to the evidence to show him his sin, but he maintained that he kept the commandments of God. The Jews did this to Christ, and using them as, as an example now, I will read how their own sin was the same willful sin. Reading from letter 16, 1895, paragraph 21, it says, that is from the 10th volume of letters and manuscripts, it says, the Jews had clear light as to the character and mission of Christ. They had, look at this word now, they had what? Evidence. So take note of that word, evidence of his divinity in his resurrection and ascension. Yet they would not receive him and become his disciples. In the next word now, stubbornly resisting clear light and evidence brought to them by the Holy Spirit of God, they committed the unpardonable sin. I'll stop here. I'll continue the reading. Let me go back to the previous reading. Those two words were there, at least one of them, stubbornness. It says, it is the stubbornness of the heart that will not turn from sin, which seals the fate of any people or any individual. That's from Review and Herald, May 19, 1903, paragraph 2. Now, back to where I was before. That word there comes up in stubbornly resisting clear light and evidence brought to them by the Holy Spirit of God, they committed the unpardonable sin. As in the case of Judas, so it was with the Jews. God gave him sufficient evidence concerning the course he was taking. But he failed to improve the light and it became darkness to him. God gave abundant evidence to the Jewish nation. He asked, What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Isaiah 5 verse 4, end of quote. Do you see that word evidence, 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 evidence? That is what brings people into willful sin, the unpardonable sin. When we have evidence, Samuel pointed to the evidence that Saul was in sin. I hear the sheep. They are bleating. But Saul ignored the evidence and said, I have kept the commandment of the Lord. As if to say to Samuel, what you are saying is not enough evidence to show that I have not I have sinned. I have not sinned. Just because I'm hearing bleating of a sheep doesn't mean I have not kept God's commandments. I have not sinned. What I'm doing here is right. I'm doing it to, to, to give glory to God, to honor him and make sacrifices to him. I don't know why Saul was so obsessed with sacrifice, sacrifice. The first time it was this same matter of making sacrifice that he sinned against the Lord. Now here he is again talking about sacrifice. 
And since he could not be convinced, Samuel told him clearly these same words that we read here about stubbornness. That was the same thing that Samuel told to him. We will look into that in more detail in tomorrow's devotion, talking about the stubbornness. Because that was what Samuel told to him, that he was being stubborn. And that that stubbornness is what he was, his destruction. Reading in I am First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Okay, let me say from verse 23, it says, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's what Samuel told to Saul. He was being stubborn. You see, the unpardonable sin exhausts God's grace. And it exhausts all the evidences of truth. He who involves in this will refuse every evidence as sufficient reason for them to change their course of action. As Saul refused to be convinced of his sin, so do many refuse to be convinced of the truth, though many evidences are shown to them. Now, I want to remind us of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That means if all evidence has been pre- presented to us telling us what the truth is, and we reject it, and we continue in our sins saying that that thing we are doing is not a sin, then there is no sacrifice. You know now you are sinning against light. Conflict and Courage, page 157, paragraph 5, tells us, Saul denied his sin, even while the lowing of the oxen and the bleating of the sheep were publishing his guilt. Oh, the lowing of the oxen today is in the word of God. The bleating of the sheep is in the word of God, telling us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The sheep is bleating, telling us in the things of nature that there is nothing made that someone did not make. Therefore, there must be a hand of the creator. And in light of this bleating of the sheep, many are still denying that there is a God. Where do they place themselves? They place themselves in willful sin, the unpardonable sin. The evidences of the Sabbath is crying out in the word of God. The Sabbath is bleating like the sheep from the word of God, from Genesis down to Revelation, showing us evidences that God does not change, that the Sabbath is still the seventh day. Yet in light of this, many would say, I do not see the sin in not keeping the seventh day, but they would rather keep Sunday instead of the Sabbath day. Even when all evidences have been shown to them that the first day of the week is Sunday and the last day, the seventh day is is Sabbath and that the Lord Jesus never changed the Sabbath and it is the Roman Catholic Church that changed it from seventh day to the first day. Well, they attempted to because they cannot change it. In light of this evidence, the bleating of the sheep from the word of God, the bleating of the sheep from history, telling people this is the Sabbath, yet they would say, I am not convinced and they continue in their course of action. What do you think you are doing when you are doing that, brothers and sisters, in sympathy, in mercy and pleading with you? Do not follow that course. Many have done it and now, where do you think their end will be? Would it be any different from what happened to, to King Saul? And there are others who claim that they are keeping the Sabbath day, yet the evidence is telling them you are not keeping it. You are writing exams on Sabbath. You are breaking it. You are working on Sabbath. You are defiling it with your words that are not in harmony with the keeping of the Sabbath. You are preparing your own things on the Sabbath, attending parties, 
preparing your food that you should have done on the other day on the sabbath and then they say i do not see any sin in it and then evidences are pointed to in the word of god where the lord said bake that which you will bake seethe that which you will seethe for the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord prepare on the preparation day and they will still justify themselves and say no i do not see anything in polishing my shoe in ironing my clothes in washing my clothes in attending parties and occasions and work and all whatnot on the sabbath day when in light of all these evidences they deny it and say i am still keeping god's commandments i have not seen i have kept the commandment of the lord just like king saul i have kept it how but i'm hearing the bleating of the sheep i see you cooking i have kept it i'm hearing the bleating of the sheep i see you writing the exams and they say no i have kept it i'm hearing the bleating of the sheep as you iron your clothes and you do the things you should not do on the sabbath and yet you justify yourself where do you think you are placing yourself in the light of all this truth hebrews 10 verse 26 says that if after the lord has done his best to show you your sin and you continue to justify yourself there is no sacrifice for your sin anymore you are exhausting all the evidences there is the evidence of light in the lord in the word of the lord telling us that these cartoons we are watching even the media who are not of God is exposing the cartoons, exposing the movies, exposing the music. The musicians themselves are saying with their own words, with the evidence, we are worshipping other gods. They are telling us clearly, they are not hiding it anymore. They are telling us very clearly that the music they are making is leading people into a direction away from God's word. They are saying they belong to secret cults like the Freemasons and the Illuminati. But people, even in light of all this evidence, they still justify the music. I have spoken with someone who told me he doesn't see anything wrong in listening to all this worldly music. That they are, there's the, the, the Lord does not condemn it. I tried showing from the word of God and he says, that's your opinion. For me, there's nothing wrong with it. And then I say, what of them? The people, they said it themselves. The musicians, they said it. The actors said that they are possessed with other spirits when they are acting these movies. What do you say about that? Say, I don't see anything wrong with it. Hmm. Wow. What more can Lord do? Isaiah, like we read, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 4. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When the sin in some matter is brought to the knowledge of some, like the matters I have just mentioned now, the music, the movies, the cartoons, the entertainment, the football, we are shown now that these things are idolatrous things that are done, brought to worship other gods, some don't know but others when you show it to them go to the official website of the olympics just do what i have done go there to the official website of the olympics and let them tell you the origin of the sports and what they are actually doing how they are worshiping zeus and the gods of the greeks and that it was every act of athletes the athletes when they are doing what they are doing that it was supposed to be an act of worship to the gods in mount olympus in light of we'll look at these things in other devotions in light of all these evidences some people will still justify it and say it is not like you're putting it it's not that bad hmm. when the sin in these matters are brought to the mind of people and even in the matter of dress i don't want to elaborate on that but even in the matter of dress people are shown from the word of god and yet they will still say i don't see anything wrong with it so when the sin in some matter is brought to the knowledge of some people when the evidences are clear from the scripture and all possible means the Holy Spirit has employed to convince the sinner of their sin is neglected, despised, or deemed as insufficient. God will ask the question, what more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? He has done all he can, but the person will not change. 
Since the person cannot be convinced, therefore he sees no need for a change. And since there is no need for repentance, then what does the person do? He continues in his course. The person continues in that evil course and since the person persists in continuing the evil course, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Some, instead of acknowledging their sin and humbling themselves in repentance, will say, after they are shown their error from the scripture, I don't see anything wrong with it. There's nothing there. Hmm. Many have made this statement to their eternal ruin. The first step to being converted is for one to acknowledge his sin. But if like Saul, we refuse to acknowledge our sins in light of evidences, because of the sharp words or for whatever reason we, we refuse, then we are going down the same road to commit the unpardonable sin. Self-justification is the presence in the presence of clear light is the worst of sins. It brought about the eternal ruin of Saul and it is bringing about the eternal ruin of many today. Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 6 reading from verse 4 to 6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. When God has done all that can be done and has shown all the light he can show and we harden our necks, refusing to see the sin in our course of action, eventually our necks will break and we will be destroyed. So let us receive warning. The book of 1 Corinthians 10 tells us why we are going through these stories, reading from verse 6 to 11. These things happened as examples for us, so that we will not crave evil things as they did. So do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And let us not be immoral as some of them were, and 23,000 died in a single day. And let us not put Christ to test as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes and do not complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. Let us learn from Saul's lesson. This matter is a very serious issue. Is there something that people have been trying to convince you of and you are justifying yourself, telling yourself there's nothing wrong, perhaps in your business, in the things you know there are many things the world justifies people falsify documents today i've heard someone told me his father died the father was receiving pension from the government instead of declaring that the father has died to the government so that the pension will stop coming the, the salaries will stop coming to the account they went to connive with the bank and told the bank don't let the government know we'll be sharing the money equally or even not equally but we'll share it and then the money keeps coming in and that's how corruption is going on. And try to convince them of their wrong. They'll say, no, there's nothing wrong with it. And there are those who justify the action of doing internet fraud. And they say, didn't they steal from us first? And others will justify themselves in many other ways. For example, like I mentioned earlier, the Sabbath. Evidences are shown clearly. God is giving us an opportunity to rethink today. I don't know how this devotion applies to you. Perhaps you have heard the message sometime before where you were shown clear evidences from the word of God telling you your wrong cause of action and you justified yourself and refused to listen and hardened your neck. 
The Lord is giving you another opportunity today to loosen your neck. If not, it will break and you will be destroyed without remedy. Now is a time to receive warning from the Lord and change. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, help your children. Please may your spirit touch our hearts to soften us, that we will not harden our necks in light of evidences and clear truth. Your word has said that if we, after knowledge has come, continue in willful sin, there is no repentance and no sacrifice for our sins, Lord. Fearful words these are. Perhaps one of the most fearful things anyone can read in the scriptures. Lord, I commit myself unto your care and everyone who is listening. Please, Lord, save us and help us not to be in this condition of willful sin where we cannot find pardon. Wherever we have justified ourselves and refused to see sin for what it is and justified and continued in this, please, Lord, bring it to our remembrance again. Perhaps you have not brought it, you have left us, Lord. Please come back and show us our sin. Show us our error, Lord, and help us to humble ourselves before you in repentance. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and thank you for answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.